Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Mitch. So, summer reading. Uh-huh. I have some good ones. Okay. I'm excited. But but I have something I kind of want to talk about. Because summertime is... I've, I've been doing my summer reading. But summertime in the life of the church is an interesting time if you're not Episcopalian. And what I mean by that is it's general assembly time. It is Baptist convention time. It is all oh, of yeah. those things. They're all happening. Ours is next year. It is. It's General coming convention. up. And so I want to tell you a story real quick, and okay. then I'll tell you why I'm telling the story. When I was in college, my really, really, one of my really great friends in the world was working a bar inside of a hotel where the Baptist General Convention was being held. Mm-hmm. And I was coming back, I was a swimmer in college, and so I could only come, like I, I had to be close to a pool sort of all the time. And so I was coming back and I really wanted to see him. So I was like, hey, you know, what's up? He's like, it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy. Just come by the hotel. I'll make you a drink. We'll talk in the bar. I'm not going to be working. Like, it's, uh, it's going to be easy because the Baptist General Convention is here and everybody knows the Baptists don't drink. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. So I swung into, I think it was the Hotel Fort Des Moines, which is a super old Des Moines, Iowa hotel. Um, with a, cl- a sort of classic exterior of mm-hmm. the old hotels, classic bar, classic, just sort of, it's very, it feels very 1920s, 1930s America. Like you would have walked in and maybe a railroad baron yeah, had like, swung through. You lo- Right. And the, the staircases are all decorated. It's just, it's a pretty hotel mm-hmm. or was a pretty hotel. Uh, anyway, go to the bar, an old school bar, pull up to the bar, sit down. I am the only person in the bar. Like the only person in the bar. All the waiters are gone. And my buddy, who's supposed to be the bartender, is not there. About five minutes go by and still nobody's in there. So I go and make myself a cocktail. I was close enough friends that I could go around the back of the bar. So I make myself a cocktail, come back, sit back down. And in comes my buddy who is dripping in sweat. I mean, he is sweating his butt off. He's got, it's an old school bar. So he had to wear the bow tie. Yeah. Black pants, white server shirt, suspenders. Like he, you know, old school bartender's uniform. And he goes, Mitch, oh God, thank God you're here. I need two gin and tonics. I need a vodka and cranberry. I need a double makers on the rocks and all of them to go. I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh man, this Baptist convention's killing me. Room service has me at 20,000 steps. Oh, because nobody will drink at the bar together. But they were all in their rooms. Back to their rooms. And so that—that is the quintessential Baptist joke. And so yeah, so he he, I I I ended up working all night making cocktails. So anyway, the reason why I bring this up is that in my summer reading and going through the Wall Street Journal today and going through the New York Times. I came across two things. The first is Rick Warren coming out in favor of women's ordination. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know, the Baptist Convention voted to expel his church and him from the Baptist Convention. And this is the the Southern Baptist Baptist Convention. Convention. Church of the Nazarene is going on right now, and they're having some similar, similar debates on the floor about who can participate and who can't and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and at least in, in both of their cases, I think it's important, one, to say, obviously, 
hey, Caitlin, I believe in women's ordination. Hey, thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. But so there, there, that's the obvious piece. But what's astounding to me is, is, at least in Rick Warren's case, there were over 1,200 votes in favor of, of what he had done. The margin was still astronomical. It was 87% um, voted against him. To expel. To expel. But over 1,200 people voted to, to keep him in. In the days that have followed that, some of those 1,200 people have been have been identified, maybe self-identified. You know, it'd be the equivalent of me losing a vote and saying, hey, I voted for so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's fine. Or, or people have said that, you know, I voted for Rick. That has led to these people and their families being targeted on social media. And so this morning I read about a pastor in Idaho who has been threatened in a social media campaign with being fired. Every Instagram tag where they've they've put this guy's picture up, they've also tagged his wife and his children. Oh. And had oh. him threatened to be to be fired. It's gone out into the Twitterverse, whatever that is. There have been threats made of of harm. You know, that that hurting Hurting him would be like hurting the devil, so not a bad thing at all. You know, those sorts of comparisons being made. And in the Church of Nazarene, there's been threats today and targeted attacks against college professors, against seminary professors, against well-known Christian writers who've even written for Episcopal and Anglican publications like the Living Church. And it just strikes me that these general assemblies, which were made on democratic values, mm-hmm. are falling apart right in front of us. You know, an 87% win is a win for your side. Congrats, you won. That's a big, you know, you did what you want to do. Total annihilation is not a democratic thought. No. Having a person or a pastor... Not to mention that these are... Christian organizations and total annihilation is certainly not a Christian and having these moral pas- tenet. Yeah, yeah. And having these pastors get fired in front of their kids, having these pastors get publicly shamed or threatened and, and including their children in the threat. Yeah. It's really it's it's really insane. And I in twenty twenty one, in the middle of COVID, there was a study done and, and that study said that Clergy, one in 10 clergy in 2021 reported having suicidal thoughts on at least a monthly basis. Mm. One in 10. This was across all denominations. But one in 10. You have 10 churches just on on Trenum Drive. Yes, 10 churches within 10 blocks of here. One in 10 clergy reported having suicidal thoughts on a, at least a monthly basis in 2021. Of my classmates, half of my class, I've been out of seminary for, we have been out for 17 years. Half of my class is retired, quit, or divorced. That's 50%. That's crazy. Half of my graduating class and coming up on, you know, just 
well, at 17 years, half of them are retired, quit, or divorced. And so as I was kind of doing my summer reading, I kind of got a little upset this morning. And I, I just, I think it's important for people to hear that a faithful expression of the gospel that is not necessarily your own doesn't make it any less faithful. Mm-hmm. The Council of Nicaea that came out to the Council, the Nicaean Creed, they met multiple times over the course of years because they had debate on a floor in conversation over and over and over again. No one side of that debate was more or less faithful. They were working towards what they thought God was calling them to do. And, and being wrong does not necessarily mean, or being incorrect does not necessarily mean being less faithful. And the attacks on people who feel differently from you or, or than you, and the attacks, I think, on, on faith leaders, on healthcare providers, on mental health providers, on doctors, on nurses, on police officers, first responders, firefighters. Some of this has gotten so far out of hand. It is, it's, it, it's astounding to me. And, and the public attacks, this public shaming and outing of somebody, because it feels really good to put them up on, on social. Well, so you brought up the Council of Nicaea. One of the earliest heresies that the church wrestled with was donatism. So here's, yeah. here's a nerdy little tidbit for the pod, right? Which during the most severe persecution of the early church, when you had Christians being martyred like in arenas and fed to lions, like that really brutal, violent. And there was a guy named Donatist. I, I hope yeah. I do something so bad that they have a heresy called Mitchellism. But during that time, right, a lot of people were very fearful. When you have that kind of violence, when you have that kind of social ostracization, when you have the ancient equivalent of tagging you and your family in a Facebook post or a or a Twitter post and and making threats like that's happening on the street. And so particularly clergy during that time, some of them, certainly not all, but some of them went underground or would sort of out in the world play at one thing and then be clergy secretly at home and, and sort of betrayed the the stance of the church and sort of abandoned the church in a lot of ways. And as they were coming out of persecution, as Constantine came in and said, like, hey, Christianity is allowed now, a lot of folks got really upset and said, actually, if you abdicated the church once, you don't get to be a part of it anymore. And that was one of the very early heresies of taking away sort of the ordained ministry of of people who had by their eyes abdicated and the correction to that heresy and the truth that came out of it was actually you can be welcomed back and that actually the eucharist that those people were saying weren't any less valid because it is not them that makes the meal valid it is christ and christ's words spoken over the bread and the wine. And so I just see kind of that same it same heresy different day. Like it's playing out of, you know, we feel like you have abdicated some fundamental 
belief in the church and therefore you must be totally annihilated and you cannot be welcome into the body and everything that you have done is right like you said one mm-hmm. of the threats was we can beat him up because he's the same as the devil mm-hmm. and, yeah. and i mean like that side likes to i mean that side quote unquote, that folks that hold those kinds of views often like to say that their view is correct and the other side is heretical mm-hmm. when they themselves are committing a heresy against the very body of christ mm-hmm. and it's it's i think on a human level i'm I've been blessed to do some really fun ministries. I've been blessed to to be at Trinity New Orleans, which is a large church, and you know now St. Martin's, which is certainly a large resource-sized church. To be in large church ministry is has been a blessing in my life. I mean, I, I loved Trinity Waterloo very much, and that was a small church. But, but as my career has changed, it, I really feel called to this ministry that I'm in now. At the same time, like one of the downfalls of it is having that fringe group that will do things. And, and I would just say that receiving a death threat is a crazy experience. It's now happened to me three times in my career. Once. Um, I wouldn't exactly call you a guy like way out on the fringes. Yeah, I, I, I hope not. But receiving a death threat's really like it's, 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 it's an ex- interesting experience. One by mail, you know, which was just stupid, mailed from a post box or whatever. And, and you know, that you try to see who sent it. And, you know, what are they saying? What's crazy? You know, what, what, you know, where did this come from? Can I identify the sermon or the speech? Can I, can I go through this process? And then do I have to call the authorities? Do I have to call the school resource officer at my kid's school and tell them what's happened? Do I have to ask for extra police protection at church? And, you know, even here at St. Martin's, we've had plainclothes police officers in the pews. You know, do I have to ask for that to happen? The stress that it puts you and your family under is is incredible. And in this time of social media, when you have no idea who's saying some things, and it could be, you know, mm-hmm. a robocall or, or just a fake account or a bot doing it, the, you know, after the most recent one that I got, which was during the pan, just coming out of the pandemic, you know, a door closed really hard, a car door closed really hard in a parking lot and made me jump. And I don't consider myself a startleable. I don't, I don't, I'm not startleable. I don't, I don't jump all the time. It made me jump. The experience of and as clergy, we don't have the option to not be public people. Yeah. You know, a new member comes to the church and you've never seen them before. And that quick thought, do I welcome this person or is that, the, is that one of the is people? Is that the person that sent the letter this week? Is that the person that sent the email? And so what's happening to these pastors on a very large scale and, the, the, and what's happening to, I mean, 1,200 people, if half of them are pastor votes, 600 Southern Baptist pastors What's happening to, to these people getting these threats and getting this kind of campaign against them, the Church of Nazarene getting these threats and getting this campaign against them? What's happening to these people is, is, is just a travesty. And it's interesting for us as Christians because I think scandal brings all of us down. Mm-hmm. Scandal in the Catholic Church brings every, brought everybody down. 
scandal in the Episcopal Church has brought everybody down. When a pastor, an Episcopal priest in Colorado, bought his son a Jeep Wrangler with his discretionary fund money, it brought everybody down. You know, Southern Baptists, the, the sex scandals that happened even here in Columbia at certain churches, it brings that are every- still happening. Yeah, that still are happening. It brings everybody and that down. They're, all right, this is my soapbox. They're taking all of these votes on women being able to be pastors when meanwhile you have all of these victims of Southern Baptist perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And they they have shielded them. They have they've, they've refused protect- to take the vote. They they took the Roman Catholic Church approach and hit yeah. them. Yeah, or transferred them and moved them around. And yeah, so there's there's that brings everybody down. At the same time, like when people do something good in the name of Christ, it brings everybody up. Mm-hmm. I have things that I vehemently disagree with Rick Warren on. But the fact is, is that millions of people have read his stuff. Like he has increased the life of the church by increasing the followers of Jesus. He's done that, and he deserves credit for his for that. You know, Michael Curry preached an Episcopal service with the royal wedding, but all of Christianity saw that. It was like the Super Bowl. 30 million people saw him preach the gospel of Jesus. Everybody's boat floats. And so I just, you see in headlines in the next couple of weeks about these conventions and everything else. I think as we watch what's happening in the Methodist church right now, I think what important is that that everybody is treated with a sense of you are God's child and I'm I'm terribly sorry that this is happening but also everybody's dignity is respected and that it's not framed out in a in a a, a way of winners and losers mm-hmm. because this this and and, and in the midst of it not being framed out as winners and losers, it's also not framed out as us and them or me and other. Because, because the, actually everybody is trying to faithfully follow the gospel. Exactly. And seeing the person as other leads to these threats, leads to families being attacked, leads to children being attacked. I mean, children being attacked online. Y'all... The statistics of kids dying by suicide because of online attacks on their Instagram, on their on their Twitter, on their on their appearance, on their like there are people out there who are sending these threats that are literally playing with fire. Mm-hmm. And it's unconscious unconscionable. And it just needs and it's in the church. It's in the church and it needs to stop. And so and and with an election coming up, I just encourage everybody to check check their online behavior and and just be be better. <laughs> just just be better. Like we we don't need this. Like and 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 I encourage encourage our listeners, which are mostly Episcopal and Anglican, to pray for to pray for the our brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of the denomination. Because there's there's something happening and it's 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 painful to watch. At least for me it was very painful. It it hit home this morning. 
I, I, I've read a lot of the same articles too, and read them and feel them in a particular kind of way as well. Because I, I tend to spend a fair amount of time on Twitter. That's just where my friends and colleagues are, and so that's where we kind of hang out. And sometimes I will, you know, make a theological statement, or I will say something about the church, or I will be having a thought, and I'll share it so that we can all kind of talk about it and the and like they're always faceless they always have names that are not connected to probably what their birth certificate name is so it's you know i we we joke that they're all called deus volt like they're all kind of like or what they'll swarm a post if you are a female minister who has said something about the gospel or the church and you are not a real minister, like repent and return. Like, and the first few are always just like, you know, you're invalid. You're like, all right, I'll block. But if you happen to be offline for a while and then they they swarm, it very quickly goes to, here's a link to the church that she works at. Here's where you can contact her. Like, here's what part of town I think she lives in. Like, it can, it can get very bad very quickly. And so a lot of time, like, I... It's not an uncommon occurrence that I'll, you know, make what I think is a pretty benign post and then an hour later get a text message from a friend being like, yo, you got to go shut it down. <laughs> it's going to it's getting bad. It's getting you bad. have to run a blockchain. You have to. And that's that's a regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like reading this and having had those experiences online as a female minister, I was I was thinking this morning and remembering all of those things and having felt those things about the story in Acts where Peter is on the rooftop and has the vision of the blanket coming down mm. with all of the animals on it. And and God says, you shall not call defamed what I have made clean. And then that coupled with Jesus's words, it is not what goes into a person that defiles, but what comes out. Like, we know that if you eat something spicy, it feels really good going in and maybe doesn't feel so good coming back out. Ooh. I feel like hate is like that mm. or fear is like that, which is this is a long winded way of saying like wherever you fall on whatever spectrum, let all that you do and all that you say show the full charity of Christ. Mm, that's good. It doesn't matter what you believe, but you better gosh darn well be saying it in a loving way. Share love. Yeah. And that's true of church and politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't. So. And then by the same token, let what you read and ingest be good and be not something that defiles you or corrupts your soul. I like that. And just don't be mean. (laughs) Don't, don't be a butthead. Don't be mean. And. Don't bring people's kids into it. I think all of us can agree that parents are parents. Don't bring people's kids into it. Uh, that's, you know, that goes to everyone. Yeah. Baron Trump, off limits. Mm-hmm. The kids, off limits. Don't bring people's children into it. I think that that's, I think that's, you know, sins of the father 
passed to the son. Not by other Christians. That's, you know, we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. So don't, don't bring people's kids into it. And these pastors' families, don't bring them into it. My heart really hurts for them. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and again, parents, especially parents and grandparents, online, online bullying is that swarm that Caitlin was talking about. Um, online bullying is that piling on or sharing what you think is a harmless meme, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Like if it feels negative and makes you feel a rush of adrenaline when you hit share, don't share it. That's a good indicator. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, is that ripples? Yeah. The death threat I got here in, in Colombia was certainly from a swarm, mm-hmm. that, that kind of situation. And so. There are real people on the other end of these things. And I think that, yeah, it's got to stop. Got to stop. And, yeah, I thought we took care of Christians threatening to kill other Christians for a long time. <laughs> we would have hoped. We would have hoped. So, anyway, that's my rant. This is probably gonna, This podcast might get me in trouble. But summer reading got interrupted this morning by summer reading. <laughs> so I told Caitlin I had a rant and she said let's do it let's do it quick and so my rant's over it was not very well researched but that's how I feel at the moment so well it's it's coming from a place where you felt the death threat side and I felt the swarm side and so this is the kind of reading or the stories that we hear that aren't just facts or stories that pass through our brains. Like we feel them in our body. Yes. 1200 people. That's multiple churches across, across the country where there's now pastors and their families who have been outed by extremist groups that are going back to their church and don't know who's the one sending letters to them. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just it's a mind-boggling number. It's it, and it's not it's not a city problem. I mean, I, I was reading about a small town in Idaho today. You know, it's not a certainly not it's a quarter lane. Pastors of like big places where you would expect them to kind of be. Yeah, it'd be like Seminole County, Florida, or I mean, it's just yeah, it's just small places, and they're going back to their homes and back to their jobs. And a lot of these pastors, particularly at smaller churches, they're going back to their job that's probably part-time, mm-hmm. where they work a different day job and then pastor because they love it. The tent um, maker types. Mm-hmm. And so 1,200 people, I'm not saying all 1,200 of them got threats, but enough of them did that it's, it's a thing. And that, it just it's crazy. It's just crazy. So to those people, just know I'm praying. I'm praying for you. St. Martin's is praying for you. Absolutely. And, and, and we're praying for the folks on the other ends of those keyboards as well. Right. We're yeah. told to pray for our enemies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can imagine a lot of things, but I can imagine that hiding behind a keyboard like that 
is perhaps an indicator of something of a lonely existence. Mm-hmm. And taking pleasure in gotcha moments is, yeah. is it's either an immaturity or a loneliness, immaturity, or just a lack of understanding. I think there are certain folks who use the internet who fail to see how powerful and how quickly it can go from virtual to real. Mm-hmm. And so lack of understanding of the tool that they're using. And that's me trying to be charitable. Yeah. So, while I post a podcast about this. And with that. Walk in love as Christ <laughs> loved us. All right. Bye, and everybody. gave himself for us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> This is a podcast of St. Martin's in the Fields in Columbia, South Carolina. Pay us a visit here on campus, come worship with us on Sundays, or visit us online at smifsc.com. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your podcast channels, and leave a comment. Let us know if you like this episode, if you like this format. We want to hear from you. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.